Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we're joined by Cache County Executive David Zook. Uh, he joins us to talk about uh, public health, transportation, homelessness, mental health, the economy, immigration, COVID, other issues. Uh, David Zook has served in various positions in county government. Uh, he also served as city manager for Nibley City. Um, and uh, I think president of Cash uh, Chamber of Commerce, uh, Planning Commission for Hyde Park. Uh, uh, I'll have you tell us about a few of the, those things. Uh, you can get your questions uh, to David Zook by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And though we're going local here, um, I'm assuming that many of the issues we'll talk about for Cash County will apply to the county where you live as well. Uh, upraxcess at gmail.com is a way to get a question uh, through to us. So, um, David Zook, tell us a little bit about your background. Thanks, Tom. Uh, thanks for uh, bringing me on today. This is great to talk to you. Uh, my background, uh, as you mentioned, I've worked in county government. I've got about 15 years of experience in county government uh, before the past year uh, serving as county executive. And I served as a city manager, as you mentioned, for Nibley for a, about a decade. Uh, my experience in county government, I spent a little time in law enforcement, social services, economic development, and uh, and then several years in administration. Um, uh, you asked about my background, uh, uh, my educational background off the air. I have my master's in public administration from Southern Utah University and uh, actually have a, a credential from the International City and County Management Association as a credentialed manager. I earned that just over uh, about two years ago now. Um, and I, I love public service. I've been involved in public service my entire career. And it, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of a family thing. Uh, in my family, uh, people are either in, in public service or, or health care. Uh, those, are, those are basically the two main careers in my family. And so I kind of felt like growing up, I, I saw my parents and a lot of my relatives in public service, everything from, from the military to, to local government. And and I always wanted to serve. I always wanted to be involved in my community. How did you first get involved? That's a, maybe people wondering, how do I get involved? How did you get involved? That's a great question. Um, it, it was kind of funny. This was uh, over 25 years ago when I first got my first job. And uh, as we did back then, I looked in the newspaper for <laughs> a job opening. I don't know if anyone does that these days. But I was still in college, and uh, I was actually uh, planning to go to medical school. And... Uh, but, uh, my first daughter was born and I realized I need a job. <laughs> I, I need, I need to be able to, uh, support this, this new child that I brought into the world. And, and so I opened the newspaper and found a job and got a job working in, in county government. And, um, and, and I told myself, this is just temporary until I finish school and then I'll get a real job. And, uh, I've, I just loved it so much and I loved the opportunity to help people. And uh, I ended up sticking with it, and uh, 25 years later, I'm still in, in public service. Oh, wonderful. I suppose if people are interested, uh, there's a lot to be done on, you know, city level, that kind of thing. You can you can apply to yeah. the planning commission, or you know, oh, there's yeah. a lot of things to be done. We are always looking for, for people to help and, and serve. We have dozens, just at the county level, we have dozens of different uh, committees and, and places people can serve, everything from our, our RAPS tax committee, tax committee to planning commissions. All of our cities have planning commissions. There are so many places to volunteer and to serve. We, we really need more people to step up and volunteer. It's gotten a little more difficult in recent years to uh, to find volunteers, to get people to serve in, in positions. People are very busy these days. 
but it's I think it's very fulfilling and it's it's so fun I think to be involved in the future of your community determining uh, what direction your community goes and I a lot of people complain too about things that are going on in their community and I do too sometimes I see something and I think I don't like that I want to change that uh, but I think there's there's a big difference between just seeing something noticing that it's a problem and complaining about it and then actually jumping in getting involved and doing something about it and that's what I encourage people to do if you see something in your community that you think could be better then come join the effort help mm-hmm. us help us to improve our community it doesn't have to be government right a lot of nonprofits doing oh yeah doing some great work yeah. so we have yeah. some incredible uh, opportunities to serve in nonprofits in our community yeah uh, so what uh, what it what is the county executive what does the county executive do that's a great question, and this is something I realized uh, over the past year. Actually, when I started campaigning for election a little over a year ago, I realized about nine out of ten people that I that I'll ask about this uh, are not familiar with what a county executive is, and and there's good reason for that. I'm I'm the only I'm the only person in the state of Utah who goes by the title of county executive. There are only two counties in the state that have our form of government. Uh, many of the counties have a commissioner form where it's a combined legislative and executive branch. Uh, but in our county and in Salt Lake County, we have a council executive form. And uh, it's set up very similar to the way our federal, state, uh, and city governments are set up, where you have an executive branch and a legislative branch that are separate from each other. And just like at the state, we've got a governor and then a state legislature. At the county, we have our executive branch, which I. I'm the, the chief executive, and uh, then we have our county council, which is our legislative branch. Uh, in Salt Lake County, the only other county with our form, their executive actually goes by the title of mayor, uh, so it's uh, the Salt Lake County mayor. So that's that's essentially what my position is. Uh, I don't know there's criticism. Uh, some people criticize the commissioner form because they say it's concentrates too much power in those commissioners. They're both legislative and executive, right? I really Which love our form, and I... I do see some conflicts, potential for conflict in that commissioner form where you concentrate both forms of government into oftentimes three people. And uh, in our form, I think it's great because it follows our national model. It follows the separation of powers we have at the national level, the separation of powers we have at the state level. And uh, I think we've seen that that is, is an effective model where you have, you have one group of people who determine what, what the laws are going to be, what the rules are going to be, what the policies are going to be, and then you have another branch that carries all that out. So that's what I do as executive, is I, I carry out those laws. I oversee the departments. We have about two dozen county departments and about 400 employees, so I'm the chief executive over that organization. I, all of those department heads answer to me. and. Uh, it, it's kind of an interesting job because part of part of what I do is running the day-to-day operations, uh, but I also serve in, I, I guess, a, a quasi-legislative role uh, on a variety of committees and boards, um, and uh, there, there are more than two dozen of those that I serve on, uh, including things like our Council of Governments or our Cash Metropolitan Planning Organization that oversee transportation funding. Uh, I serve on the chamber board. I serve on the airport board, the solid waste uh, um, board. I uh, have a variety of these that I serve on. And then three of them that I, I think are, are especially interesting are uh, more 
of the social service related boards that I serve on. So uh, in the state of Utah, counties are responsible for public health, mental health, uh, and a number of, of social services that are administered on the local level, like senior services, uh, veteran services. Uh, but Cache County, as an organization, we don't actually administer very many, if any, of those programs directly. Uh, we have some senior s- programs that we administer through our, our senior center, but for the most part, we're not directly involved in public health or mental health or, or uh, those other services like veteran services, homeless services. So um, what we do instead uh, and many years ago, we decided to do this. We partner with our two neighboring counties. So Box Elder County and Rich County, we partnered with them to form the health department. So our health department has a board that uh, is composed of members uh, of the um, elected officials from those three counties, as well as some citizens from those three counties. So I serve on that board, on the public health board. Uh, the same thing with uh, the Bear River Association of Governments. We partnered with those three counties, and then uh, I'm on that board with elected officials from those other two counties, and Bear River Association of Governments uh, provides uh, homeless services, senior services, um, uh, weatherization services, heat services, utility uh, assistance, uh, a, a variety of different social uh, service types type programs uh, for uh, people struggling with poverty. And then, uh, and then the third one is Bear River Mental Health. Bear River Mental Health, again, was an organization that was formed by the three counties coming together and saying, none of us really is big enough to do this on our own, but if we combine forces, then we can provide this service over our three-county area and provide mental health services to, uh, to those who are in need. And uh, those, those are three of, of, I think, the most important boards that I serve on. Uh, because there's such an impact and because the people those boards are serving uh, are probably the most in need. Uh, it, of course, it, like if you compared, like I'm on the Chamber of Commerce board or the airport board, uh, those are important roles. But uh, in these three, we're, we're serving people who have, I think, greater needs. I want to talk about uh, COVID. We're at, <laughs> it's on our minds. We're, we're, we're two and a half years in. Uh, seems like it's never going to end. Um, uh, uh, first question. <clears throat> Uh, I believe you're opposed to mask mandates. Uh, tell me about that, and and then what? How do we? Uh, how would how do we curb the spread? How do we how do we deal with COVID? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a very frustrating topic. I think everybody's ready to be done with the pandemic. Um, I've actually been reading a book the last uh, week or so about the pandemic. It's been kind of fascinating to relive the the process and the history of how everything unfolded. Um, uh, but um, I, I actually came out, uh, probably the headline you saw was that I came out against the vaccine mandate, uh, and I, I uh, proposed a resolution uh, in opposition to the vaccine mandate uh, when President Biden issued. Uh, uh, I, I got it wrong. It was the yeah. vaccine mandate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So the vaccine mandate was something that I came out against last year. And uh, I, I did that because, one, I didn't feel like the federal government had the authority to mandate that. Um, uh, which the courts seem to have agreed with so far uh, on that. Um, and the other reason was I, I just feel like people's bodies are, are, their, are, are their business, and it's, it's their body, it's their choice. They should have the choice about what they're going to put into their body. Um, I, I, 
I'm not against vaccines. I think vaccines are, are a blessing and that uh, they're an incredible tool to help us. Uh, I just don't think anybody should be forced to take one. Um, I happen to have a good friend who got uh, her booster and had a stroke afterward. Um, was it directly tied to the to the vaccine? I don't know. Um, but I know those are the kinds of things that um, that people are concerned about. Some people have concerns about that. Some people have other health problems. I have another employee who has a health problem where he's not able to take the vaccine. Um, and uh, that, that was the reason why I uh, spoke out against the mandate. I didn't think it was legal, and I didn't think it was right. So, you know, stipulating you're against the mandate, uh, do you encourage people? Take oh, the, yeah. Take I, I think people should get vaccinated. Vaccine. I have family members I've encouraged to get vaccinated. Um, I've, I have friends I've encouraged to get vaccinated. Uh, I think, like I said, I think it's a great blessing that uh, we were able to create a vaccine. Um, it seems to not be working as well with the, the latest version of, of the virus, uh, but it did seem to work very well with earlier versions of the virus. So I, I think it's great. I would encourage people uh have encouraged people to get vaccinated. There'll be some who'd say that uh, as a county executive, as a, you know, as a public uh, leader and uh, involved at least tangentially with the public health department, uh, that coming out against a mandate could have a chilling effect on people getting the vaccine. Uh, I, I guess it's possible that uh, some people uh, could interpret it that way, but I, I think I was clear in, in my uh, in my thoughts that I was okay with the vaccine. I thought the vaccine was a good thing. I encouraged people to get vaccinated. I just didn't think it should be mandated. I don't think anybody should be forced to take any kind of medication or uh, medical treatment. Whenever, whenever I've gone to the doctor or taken family members to the doctor, they always ask your permission. Can we do this? Uh, is it okay if we do this? Uh, it's a personal choice. Your medical care is a personal choice, and I don't think the government should tell you what medical treatments you should uh, take or, or or how you should uh, how you should approach your own medical care i think it's good for us to teach people i think we should provide information and the health department i think has done a great job of doing that of getting information out there along with a lot of other people including your radio station uh, so i think it's important to, to get the information out there to educate people but but we're we're a country based on freedom People should have the freedom to choose, uh, and and I think it 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 gets scary when the government starts telling you what to do. Sometimes it seems um, sometimes it seems attractive uh, to have the government tell people what to do if you agree with that decision. Uh, but what happens when they start telling you to do something you don't agree with? Uh, I don't think we should ever give the government that much power uh, because it, it it's going to eventually uh, go the wrong direction. And it, it, it's the same thing with, with religion. Uh, government should stay out of religion. Uh, we, we, we have, uh, we have um, policies about that because uh, if, if it's your religion, it might seem okay maybe, but if it's not, uh, then it doesn't. Uh, people should be free to have their own beliefs, to make their own choices, uh, whether it's about religion or medical care or uh, whatever personal choices they're going to make. I think the government should stay out of those things. Um, and so I got it wrong with masks. You, you were opposed to the vaccine mandate. What's, uh, what's your view on masks? Um, I, uh, I've seen, uh, varying, uh, 
Um, I've seen varying science on the effectiveness of them. Uh, this is my view on mask. If you're in somebody else's house and they want you to put it on, and by house I mean business, whatever, if you respect their wishes if they're there. Um, there has been varying science about the effectiveness of it. Um, and uh, however, I'm sure there is some effectiveness. It's like, uh, it, it, it's, it's about layers. Uh, if, if you're wearing it, is, is the virus gonna get through? Some of it will, some of it will be stopped. Uh, it's, it's the same thing with social distancing. Does social distancing help? Well, it depends how far the distance is. Depends how how much uh, viral load there is. I'm not uh, I'm I'm not a, a virologist. I'm I'm not an epidemiologist, um, but um, I th I think there is some effectiveness to it. But again, I don't like the government telling people what they can and can't do. I believe that people should have freedom. Um, but if you're on somebody else's property, if you're in someone else's home, if you're in someone else's business, you should respect their wishes. Um, so you, but you know, you help oversee the the health department here, right? Um, yes. How does um, how does this end? We're we're all wondering <laughs> how does the uh, pandemic end? And how can we help to how can we help to, to have a softer landing rather than a harder landing with COVID? I think my personal opinion: the only way it's going to end is when everybody gets it, um, and. Uh, it seems like that's been happening the last month. <laughs> seems like every, everybody's been getting it the last month. We've had huge numbers. Uh, we, uh, when we had the Delta variant, the numbers went up a lot. And then with the most recent variant, Omicron, numbers went up even more. It seems like vaccine efficacy seems to have, have dropped. Uh, just looking at the numbers uh, that was provided by the health department, we also had uh, reinfections. I looked at the numbers of reinfections up until Omicron. There were basically zero. By reinfections, I mean somebody who had it before and got it again. That essentially didn't happen until Omicron came out. Um, I'm hoping what what we're seeing uh, with the virus and the way it's uh, mutating is that it's uh, becoming less deadly, uh, making people less sick. It seems like that's the case with the current variant. And hopefully that's what happens is it just kind of mutates into more of a cold virus, which it seems to have done. Uh, it, it's always going to be out there floating around, um, and uh, I'm sure this will happen again someday. Uh, we've learned a lot from this experience, um, but how it's going to go away and when it's going to go away, I think is going to be a natural process. I'm hoping as we come into the warmer months, we see that it fades again, like it's done in the last couple of summers, and uh, hopefully we can get back to normal. Final question on this, and we'll take a break and move on. I do have a question that's come in as well um, uh, that, that I'll get to you. By the way, you can get a question to uh, Cache County Executive David Zook. That's who we're talking to by uh, email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We're grateful that uh, David Zook is here with us. Um, this, is, I mean, this has been a trying time for all of us. It's been especially trying time for public health officials. And I, as someone who oversees the yeah. – and I haven't heard of especially, you know, bad incidents here in, in the Bear River Health, Health Department District. But, uh, you know, there's instance in Salt Lake and nationwide, uh, some officials resigning. They just you – know, you know, it's, uh, people protesting on their lawns and such. I just wanted you – know, you know, your, your take on that as someone who – 
helps oversee the, the department here. You mean the? Are, are you asking about the pressure on our public health? Pressure officials? on health, uh, public health officials, and the politicization of uh, yeah. of a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I I just want to thank everybody who's helped. Our public health officials uh, have done an incredible job, uh, from our health officer down to uh, the the lower level staff uh, members, uh, just uh, processing paperwork and things like that, to the people providing direct health care. They have worked so hard throughout this pandemic. They've been so creative. They've put in so many hours. A lot of people have gotten burned out through this because it has been difficult. Uh, I think I think they deserve our thanks. They are incredible people. Uh, we are, are blessed to have an incredible health officer here, Jordan Mathis, <clears throat> who is incredibly sharp, hard worker, great person, and uh, takes good care of us. We're in, we are in uh, we're in good hands. And before him, Lloyd Berenson was our health officer, and he was incredible as well. Did a great job starting us off through this. Uh, happened to hit his retirement um, partway through this, and uh, but but helped to make sure that we got uh, the health department handed over into good hands with Jordan, and helped with the transition. We were in good hands before. We're in good hands now. Um, you mentioned politicization, politicization of this. I think that's a problem, actually. I think the government needs to stay out of these kinds of things. Doctors, uh, doctors are the experts in these kinds of things. And when you get politics involved with this, it's the same thing with climate change. It has become so political that it, it, nobody looks at the science. It's, it's just about where does my political party stand on it. And uh, it, it's, um, it's a problem with public health because when we, when we introduce politics into public health, we dissolve the trust that the public has in the system because people have different political views. Uh, people are, are all over on the political spectrum. Uh, some are far left, some are far right, some are in the middle. Uh, but if you start making political stances or political statements about public health issues, people lose trust. And that's what we've seen. Uh, we've seen that throughout this pandemic, that there has been a, a great loss of trust in the public health system because of the politics that have been introduced into it. How do we fix that? I, I think I think we need a return to uh, to the medical professionals having a little bit more of a say on things. However, there still needs to be a balance because uh, because the government who is who actually has authority to carry things out and, and to do things. Uh, the medical professionals don't have authority to, to, to make health orders or things like that. Uh, so there still needs to be a balance. Um, how, how we do that, I think we need to be more measured. We need to be more thoughtful. Uh, we need to be more researched. I think there has been so much pressure on elected officials over the last year to do something. They, f they felt like they had to do something. People were, were waiting for them to make some kind of a decision to protect the public health. And if they didn't, they would be accused of, of allowing people to die or making decisions that, uh, that led to that. Uh, so there was so much pressure on public officials that they felt like they had to do something that I think oftentimes... They, they made decisions and, and took steps without uh, the, the full input 
or research that should have been necessary to make those steps. It's hard, though. When you're in that position, you, you have to make a, a judgment call and you say, what's more important? Do I make this decision or do I wait until I have more information? Uh, that delay could cost lives. It, it's a very difficult position that our leaders have been put in. And it's very easy for uh, the public to second guess them, to say, I would have done this, I would have done that. I've, I've, I felt that myself. When the pandemic first happened, I was working as city manager for Nibley City, and I, I had my own personal criticisms about the way I saw government leaders uh, addressing the issue. And then I suddenly realized that I was responsible for my employees and that my decision uh, for my employees, uh, or in relation to my employees, could affect whether or not they lived or died. I suddenly felt that pressure that I had to make a decision. That changed, that changed my outlook on it. And then I got elected as county executive. And again, I realized I could be put in the position now to make a decision that could affect whether or not people live or die. That totally changes the lens through which you see things. And sometimes, sometimes makes you make decisions that you, you never would have imagined that you would have made before. Once you're in that position, you have completely different pressures, completely different motivations, and uh, it, it, it is tough. It's a tough position to be in, to, to be in a position where you are responsible for making a decision that can affect people's lives. We're overdue for a break. Let's take a break. Then we have a couple of uh, emails, uh, a couple of questions to, to pose to you. Um, David Zook, uh, Cash County Executive David Zook is with us. And uh, we're going to get on to talking about uh, mental health, the economy, um, homelessness, other issues as well. Uh, we can talk about what you'd uh, like us to talk about as well. You can um, you can get a question in to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We'll have more following this break. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from listeners like you and Salt Lake City Weekly, a Utah news source since 1984, covering news, politics, music, and more in, in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net. This is Dan Johnson for Bringing More to Life. There are 53 million family caregivers in the U.S., and they provide 37 billion hours of unpaid care for their loved ones. That's worth $470 billion, which is more than all out-of-pocket spending on U.S. health care. The typical caregiver reports high stress from this unpaid role. Respite is a service that allows caregivers to take a break while someone stays with their loved ones. Respite can reduce caregiver burnout and keep loved ones in their home longer. Yet only 14% of caregivers report they have used respite services. Encourage the caregivers you know to take advantage of respite through programs like RSVP. Support for Bringing More to Life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Retired and Senior Volunteer Program of Cash and Rich Counties, bolstering social support and well-being of aging adults and family caregivers. Information at sunshineterrace.org slash RSVP. Thanks for listening to Access Utah today. We're talking with Cache County Executive David Zook. Um, of course, he is uh, he runs uh, Cache County, but uh, the issues we're talking about, as illustrated uh, earlier in the program, uh, very likely apply to you. So, uh, you know, if you're listening in St. George, uh, probably similar issues in your county to uh, to to, the, to this county. Um, 
let's see. Uh, let's, uh, David Zook, let's go straight to emails. I've been putting out the email. We now have three emails uh, have come in. So okay. you're a popular fellow. Um, and you can get your email into upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. A couple of folks, um, I guess, are testing your ideological consistency, Mr. Zook. Uh, uh, you have uh, expressed a, um, uh, an opposition to, uh, you know, government getting too involved in our lives, uh, uh, opposition to vaccine mandates. Uh, this uh, email has come in. Does Mr. Zook have the same opinion when it comes to government and reproductive rights? The person should have the right to make their own decisions. I'm guessing they're talking about abortion. I would, I would think they're talking about abortion. Yeah. yeah. So I believe that uh, we should have freedom as long as our, our freedom doesn't infringe on other people. That's a really difficult uh, line to find sometimes. Uh, but when you're taking someone's life, I think it's very clear. I'm pro-life. I feel like abortion is murder. That's a, that's a personal feeling. I'm sure some of the listeners have other thoughts about it. It's a very difficult issue, uh, something we can't resolve in this short <laughs> radio interview. But that's my personal opinion about that. And that's, that's how I reconcile that thought, is that uh, individual whose life is being taken has rights to. Um, I know there are a lot of arguments about when that begins and all of those things. Uh, we could spend years debating that, but that's my position. Um, and I'll just read this. Um, you've already responded to it, but, but similar question from C. Tanniger. I hope I'm uh, pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, who says, your current guest has said he's against vaccine mandates because it violates personal freedom, and he thinks that individuals should choose what happens to their own body. How does this intersect with his views on abortion? So you've, you've talked about that. Uh, let's move to uh, this email. It comes in from Hillary Shugart, who's with the Bridgeland Audubon Society. Uh, this is the question. Will the new countywide animal care and control ordinance include service for cats? It's time to stop neglecting cats and to treat them with the same respect and care as dogs. Yeah. Hi, Hillary. <laughs> That's a great question. It's something we've been struggling with when I was at the city level, and uh, I know our, our sheriff's office has struggled with that. We do need to do more uh, when it comes to cats. Um, the biggest thing, though, that I would encourage, and this uh, really, uh, I think, aligns with, with my philosophy on personal responsibility, is cat owners need to take responsibility first. Uh, they're, if, if they're bringing a cat into this world or if they're bringing a cat into their home, uh, they need to be responsible for it. They need to um, make sure it's vaccinated. Uh, it, you get the choice on that <laughs> as the owner. <laughs> Actually, that's mandated. <laughs> we mandate you vaccinate your animal. Uh, that's kind of interesting. Um, but um, it's it's very difficult to, to manage cats. Uh, one of the things that I think is fascinating and that uh, has had a lot of success is uh, uh, trap, neuter, and release programs in communities around the nation. I, you guys have probably talked about that before on your show. Uh, it seems like they've been pretty effective in uh, some communities where you uh, – you capture feral cats, uh, you make sure they're neutered and vaccinated, and then you release them back into the community, and uh, they, they um, tend to be less problematic that way. I want to talk about the economy. Um, you know, it seems like in certain sectors, economy is booming. We are worried on a national level about inflation, right? Of course, we've got this funky supply chain problem. I wonder about in uh, in Cache County. What's uh, how's the economy doing? Our economy is incredible here. 
I, I've always been amazed at how diverse our economy is, how strong our economy is, and how fast it continues to grow. Did you know that there are over 3,000 counties in the nation, and out of all of those counties in the entire nation, Cache County is the lowest unemployment rate of any of them. Mm. I looked at the number last week, we're at 1%. Wow. 1%. I've never heard of it that low before. Yeah. Uh, I, asked, I asked our workforce services department how many people were actually on unemployment at the end of last year, I think it was around 40 people. Uh, at the same time, they estimate that there are probably close to 5,000 jobs available in our county right now. Uh, and they also said that our employers, our businesses in our community could fill many more vacancies or or positions that aren't even posted as vacancies now if the people were available. So mm-hmm. many companies have said, I could hire so many more people if they were there. I could grow my business so much more if the people were there. Uh, we need more workers in the workforce. That's actually something we're working on. We created an economic development department in the county. Uh, it's something the county's never done. Over the last year, we've uh, got had our new economic development director up and running, getting that department going. And uh, we actually applied for a couple of grants from the governor's office of economic opportunity that we secured. And we're working on a couple of different programs to help figure out how we can get more people into the workforce. And there are some, some interesting aspects to that. We had a, a really big exodus of retirees during the pandemic. A lot of people just said, you know what, I don't need to work anymore. I'm going to just take this opportunity to retire and stay home. We also had uh, what's been referred to as a pink collar exodus where a lot of women uh, left the workforce. Uh, there were a lot of struggles related to childcare during the pandemic, especially with school shut down, kids being at home, uh, daycare centers, uh, a, a lot of struggles related to that that uh, have caused a lot of women to leave the workforce. Uh, so we, we plan to use the, the grant funds that we got to study that issue. We're hoping to work with, with Utah State to uh, maybe figure out some solutions to get more people into the workforce. There are about 17,000 people per day who leave our county to work every day. 17,000 people leave this county. A lot of them are going to Hill Air Force Base, uh, Northrop Grumman. Uh, maybe they're um, maybe they're heading to um, some of the other employers on the other side of the mountain, like Auto Leave. Um, uh, and if we could capture them and keep them in our county, that would be great. Of course, that doesn't help the overall state economy. Uh, it's just shifting from one county to another. But that's one of the things we'd like to look at, too, is how can we capture some of those people who are commuting? That would help us with air quality. That would help us with traffic, fewer people on the road commuting each day, and they'd be closer to home. It would help them with their mental health as well if they are not spending as much time on the road commuting every day. Yeah. Of course, we uh, we worry about what the people are calling the Great Resignation, right? Uh, some folks, you can understand uh, people in retirement age, right? Yeah. Um, but we understand in some areas there are folks who, I guess, got used to not working during COVID and said, "I'm I'm I'm either going to reevaluate my life I'm, before I come back or whatever." I don't know if we have uh, those folks here in Cache County. Yeah, we. We're sure we do, and and that's part of what we'd like to do uh, with with this program that uh, we're going to be undertaking. We'd like to figure out how to get some of those people back into the workforce. Plus, there are a number of other people that um, are not in the workforce or maybe have never been in the workforce. How do we get more high school kids working? How do we get more college students working? Uh, what about uh, the group I call the boys in the basement? <laughs> uh, they're they're uh, 
they haven't really uh, gotten out to to face life yet. And how do we encourage them, motivate them to get out there and get a job and get involved in our economy? We can use them. We need them. Um, what would you say to those uh, uh, folks who are looking for a house? That <laughs> I think the market's still tight. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, boy, prices are out of this world. Um, when's that going to change? It, it, it's incredible. Yeah, if I knew that, <laughs> if I if I knew the answer to that question, then uh, we could we could make some money. But um, it is very difficult. We have a very difficult economy, and. Uh, it's not just our county, it's across our state, it's across our nation, where we, we've had a housing shortage for a long time. We've never been able to keep up with it or catch up with it. And uh, with the inflation that's been added to uh, our economy, it's just, it's just made it even worse. Interest rates were really low, uh, and they're still very low. Uh, that, that really fed the market. How and when is this all going to change? It depends which ac- expert you ask. I've heard some uh, people in, in the finance industry say that the interest rates are what is going to slow this down. That once the interest rates and the prices get to a point where there are so many buyers priced out of the market, then the prices will have to drop. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know what what the solution is or what's going to happen. Uh, you could you could ask several economists and probably get several different answers about that. All I know is it's difficult. Uh, it's very difficult. Uh, for our workforce. It's very difficult for our citizens. I've heard so many stories of people having to move. I have personally had several family members over the last uh, couple of years who struggled with finding housing. Uh, I I have had employees. I've had friends. Um, It it is a difficult situation right now. Uh, I've uh, had a number of meetings and conversations about the topic. We've looked at ways that we can maybe help, but ultimately it's a supply and demand issue. We need more supply out there. Next question uh, deals with the economy, but also how do you manage growth in a balanced way? Um, I just want to read a, a quote from an article in the, uh, I think this is probably from the Herald Journal. This is Cat uh, Webb, who put in a plug. She used to work here. So, yeah. Um, um, and this is about a proposal for allowing wineries in, in Cache County. This got uh, national news. Um, so... Uh, this quote is from uh, Brenda and Keith Michael, owned the vineyards at Mount Naomi Farms near Hyde Park. They're among the folks, uh, I guess, uh, hoping for this. And uh, Keith Michael says, this ordinance is about agriculture 100%. This was a, at a council hearing. Uh, that's All this is about preserving agriculture. That's the only reason we brought this to the county ever was to say we need a way to produce something more valuable on our farm because our hay and our wheat is losing to visionary homes and all the other developers. Yeah. So that that's that's a that's a push pull, right? Yeah. How do we resolve that? Yeah, it it was an interesting conversation we had last year. The county council ended up passing an ordinance to allow wineries in our community, and it really came out of a, a deeper discussion about how do we preserve agriculture in our community, and one of the one of the tools that was identified to be able to do that was agritourism. And uh, we passed an ordinance as a county uh, helping to create areas where these kinds of uh, activities could happen. And uh, another example of agritourism is um, uh, down in the south end of the valley, there's uh, uh, the barn in in Paradise, uh, in Old Paradise. Uh, It's it's an event venue, uh, but it's a barn. It's out in an agricultural zone. Uh, There 
there are a lot of ways that people have figured out to turn an agricultural operation into a, a tourist attraction or something that will generate other streams of revenue. It's tough to be in the farming business. Our, our farmers are some of the hardest working people you'll ever meet. And uh, it requires that hard work to be successful, to make money. Uh, and uh, and the, the farming industry has changed a lot. My my family, uh, they were dairy farmers here in the north end of the valley, and uh, they they ended up getting out of the business um, back in the 80s because of fluctuations in the dairy market. It was just so volatile. Uh, it, it, it's a big struggle uh, for farmers to deal with economic changes and fluctuations, and uh, at the same time, we love it. It's such a critical piece of our economy. If you look at the agricultural production that happens in our community and the secondary processing of agricultural products, uh, everything from JBS to West Point Dairy to Gosner's and Schreiber's uh, producing cheese and dairy products, we have so much uh, agriculture in our economy and uh, and it provides, it provides a lot of jobs, uh, it provides a lot of food. So what we've thought about is how can we support that and how, how can we help it to be more sustainable and at the same time preserve our open spaces? Because one of the things that, that everybody loves about Cache Valley is it's a beautiful place. We have beautiful vistas. We have beautiful mountains. We have beautiful farms, beautiful open spaces, beautiful wildlife areas, beautiful recreational areas. But we are really growing. Uh, we have, uh, everywhere you look, new developments popping up, commercial, residential, and if we're not smart about how we grow, if we don't preserve the places that make this a wonderful place, then we're going to look back at some point and say, oh, we should have done something different. We should have, uh, we should have preserved those areas. So agritourism is one way that we can help to preserve farms, but we're looking at other ways to preserve our open spaces as well. We're in the process right now of updating our general plan, and a general plan is, is a plan that guides the land use of a county. Uh, our general plan, for some reason, hasn't been updated in more than 20 years. So we're almost done updating it right now. We've been working on it. Our staff has been working really hard. We've been working with some consultants and a number of people in the community. But one of the things I uh, would like to see come out of that general plan is a focus on open space preservation. I actually have a meeting right after we're done this morning. It starts in about 12 minutes. <laughs> I'm going to run right over to another meeting where we are going to talk about open space preservation and what we can do to preserve uh, the, the beautiful and open spaces in our community, preserve agriculture, preserve, preserve areas for recreation, for, for nature, uh, for beautiful vistas. Uh, this is a beautiful place, and if we don't do something about it, then it won't look that way for our kids or our grandkids. And we, uh, yeah, because you have to run just a little bit early, we just have maybe uh, five or six minutes left in the, in the conversation here. Um, and... Uh, yeah, to my, to my producer, sorry, I didn't uh, talk to you earlier. I'll just talk to you on the air. Uh, could, could we find something to, to play at the end here? Because uh, uh, because our guest needs to needs to get to the other meeting. So we appreciate him. If, if you need our time to fill, I can stay a few more minutes. <laughs> yeah. No, I think we can find something to play here. Um, so a couple of emails come in. You really hit a nerve with the discussion on uh, opposition to uh, vaccine uh, mandates. <laughs> I thought uh, that might be This is uh, C. Tenager again. I hope I'm pronouncing your – he gave me a pronouncing guide. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. <laughs> pronounced like the Western uh, Tanager the bird. So I think that's how you pronounce it. Anyway, uh, C. Tenager uh, emails back. 
Your current guest said he is against abortion because he regards it as murder. This is not supported by lots. Also hypocritical. How is, how is the government forcing women to have children against their will, respectful of their freedom? And if he's willing to protect uh, zygotes in the womb, why is he not willing to protect grown adults with a mask mandate? Uh, your response, if any. Uh, abortion is a difficult topic, and I don't think I uh, could either in the five minutes we have here or maybe in days or weeks or months or years convince uh, people who have already decided their position on this issue. Uh, what What is clear to me is that it's wrong. It's a very unfortunate thing. Uh, I I know people who have had abortions, and it's a very difficult thing. It's a very difficult thing to be in that situation. It is often uh, very painful for many people involved. Uh, I think what is most important is that we find ways to avoid it, and uh, that's that's a, a big social issue. Uh, it's a, a very difficult issue, a very challenging issue, uh, when uh, when people engage in activities that uh, that result in a pregnancy, then uh, they they, ha- they have very tough decisions sometimes to make about that. Uh, I I'm against abortion. That's what it comes down to. Uh, there, I think there is a big difference between that and uh, somebody wearing a mask. Uh, there, there's a lot more choice uh, surrounding people's uh, people's uh, freedom of movement, where they go, how they associate with others, if they're vaccinated or not, if they wear a mask themselves or not. It's a tough issue. Public. Uh, Public policy about people's freedoms are very difficult, uh, and uh, and what I would encourage people to do is, if they think it's simple, I would say run for office and <laughs> and try it. Uh, I I learned this myself. Uh, like I, I mentioned, I got elected last year. Uh, uh, tomorrow's the an- one year anniversary of when I got sworn in, and the winery issue that you mentioned was a very difficult issue for me because. Uh, I don't like alcohol. I think alcohol is the worst drug out there. I don't use it myself. I wish nobody would. Unfortunately, it's it's very easy to make. Anybody can make it. So I think that's the reason why it's legalized and so so pervasive. People like it. Uh, it's very addictive and causes so many problems in our community. Uh, and so when our council said, oh, we're going to pass this ordinance, and then they somebody made the comment of, everyone's in support of this, I spoke up and I said, you know what? Alcohol causes a lot of problems in our community. We have a lot of people who suffer because of the effects of it. And I think we should think twice about something like that. Uh, I ultimately didn't didn't oppose that ordinance because I decided that people should be free to, to do those kinds of things. But I really struggled for months about what my role was and what the proper role of government is in regulating people's lives. And uh, and many people say the the line between where government should be and and freedom should end is when you start impacting other people, which I think that that's a, a good measuring stick. But where is that line when you start impacting other people, and to what extent? It's very difficult to determine that. I've had many conversations over the last year with people trying to uh, trying to understand their philosophies on this issue. Because uh, you you could say this about so many different public policy 
areas that uh, that there's a point where your freedoms impact those around you and uh, and where exactly that point is and when the government should get involved in regulating that is is a tough question sometimes uh, it applies with abortion it applies with uh, covid mandates it applies with some cities tell you what kind of materials you can use to build your home because that affects the property value of other people in your community. It it can get really uh, invasive and really uh, into your business. Uh, And uh, and that is something that a lot of people don't like about government. A lot of people don't like the government telling them what they can do. Uh, And uh, and I think on both sides of the political spectrum, people are, are quick to tell the government to go and force someone to do something, but then when it's a different subject, they want the government to stay out of it. It's tough. It's a really tough issue. And uh, this this last couple of years with the pandemic has really brought that issue to the fore. And I think we've seen that some uh, governments and some leaders have been very quick to to take the power and authority they have and, and mandate things and require things, while other governments uh, have have been a little more hands-off. Uh, who, who was right in, in those situations? Uh, time will tell. Uh, I, I think uh, I think people love freedom. People in America love freedom. Americans love freedom. I love freedom. I think it's something we should preserve, and I think it's something we should be very careful about if we're talking about giving the government authority uh, to to mandate things uh, against us. Uh, we we might we might like it on one particular topic, but when the topic changes, we're going to want to rescind that authority. Uh, however, once once the government gets authority, they uh, are often slow to give it up. So I that that's my overall caution with these things is it might seem like a good idea at the moment, but I think we should have a, a longer term view. We have one more question that's coming out. Can you can you stay till the end here to, yeah. to, to yeah. deal with this? And we just have a couple of minutes in, in any case. I appreciate that. This is Matt in Logan. Matt says the county executive complained about politicization of public health during this pandemic, which seems to be a fair criticism. And yet he explains his opposition to vaccination mandates. But when I enrolled my child in Cache County school system, I needed to provide an immunization record for my child. Does he oppose the, that immunization requirement for schools in Cache County? And if not, it would seem that maybe his opposition to COVID vaccination requirements might be in itself a politicization of public health. What's your view on the immunization requirement? Well, I think there's a difference between politicizing uh, a policy and uh, and administering a policy. I think it's important for us to have public health policies. Um, and what I mean by politicizing something is uh, is the way that is the way that policies have been advocated for from a more emotional uh, perspective rather than something based on on science. And uh, of course, the foundation of science is to question. That is is what the scientific method is based on, is that we should question. And uh, and that is an important important concept that we need to always preserve, is the ability to question. We should question science. That's what science is. At the same time, we have to make decisions uh, in in the public policy realm, uh, but they should be well informed. They should be researched. They should be based on data. They shouldn't be based on a knee jerk reaction. Um, are vaccines good? Are va- are our past vaccine policies 
uh, effective in, in public health? Yes, they are. Uh, I support vaccines. I think, uh, I think uh, they're an incredible invention. And if you look at, uh, this is something that uh, I looked at when I first uh, was, um, was appointed to the public health board. I, I thought, what are the causes of death? And are, is what we're doing actually effective? And I looked it up, and I looked up what the causes of death were 100 years ago and what they are today. If you look at what they were 100 years ago, there are things that people aren't really dying of today because we figured out how to fix them, many of them with vaccines, things like, like polio or smallpox. They, we don't hear about them, TB, tuberculosis. Those kind of things don't happen because the science, the medicine, the vaccines have cured those things. Uh, vaccines are, are a godsend, and we should use them. They are helpful to our health, and, uh, uh, but they should be used in a way that is based on science and sound medicine. Well, we, uh, we've hit the time just about perfectly here. We're at the end of our, our time. We've been talking with Cache County Executive David Zook, um, who has joined us today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, we uh, hope you'll join us tomorrow for a discussion of the uh, situation in Ukraine. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from listeners like you and the Cash Bar with live jazz from 7 to 9 p.m. Wednesday with drink and menu items including apple frosted lemonade and meatloaf with mashed potatoes and veggies or a quinoa and black bean yam burger. Adults 21 and older welcome. Information at thecashbarlogan.com. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.